Good afternoon. I'm Barbara Franco, the chair of ASLH, the outgoing chair of ASLH. Uh, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to Rochester. Uh, I know there have been several. Uh, it's, it's great to be back in Rochester, uh, and it's uh, terrific uh, to be here. And I think that I hear, and I certainly have experienced, this has been a great meeting so far. So I want to uh, give a thanks to everyone who's had something to do with this. I want to particularly thank our signers uh, who have been doing such a wonderful job. And I've been asked <laughs> by the program committee to remind you that this, too, is a Rochester tradition and something that Rochester takes seriously. And so we're very, very happy uh, to be able to include this as part of our program. Um, I also uh, want to, uh, I don't know if he's here yet, but uh, Carl Nold, who is the current president, uh, current chair of AAM, has been with us at this meeting, uh, and it's been really wonderful to be able to, uh, to have him here, and I know he presented, and to have that connection with our sister organization. Uh, the, we have a full... Uh, agenda for our membership meeting. Thank you all for coming. Uh, and now I would like to ask uh, David Donath to uh, present the minutes from the 2007 business meeting on behalf of our secretary, Dennis Fiore. I don't know. I'm not sure how much I actually look like Dennis Fiore, but just pretend I'm Dennis. Um, and Dennis had a very, very important role to play here. He's played an important role as secretary, but his important role here is to remind you that you all have got and have had for a few minutes a copy of the minutes of last year's meeting, and we know that you've thoroughly read and digested those. And so having done so, if you're all comfortable with this, I would, I would welcome a uh, most... <laughs> What Jim just moved was to dispense with the formal reading of the minutes and accept them. All in favor? Aye. Thank you. Well done, David. <laughs> uh, next is our treasurer's report. Uh, and Catherine Kane, who has been our treasurer for a number of years, and I, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Catherine for the incredible work that she and her committee have done. Uh, and you will see. <laughs> from her presentation of this report, uh, the wonderful work that they have done. Thank you, Barbara. The treasurer gets to work with more committees, I think, than any other officer. I'm happy to bring you today the pre-audit American Association for State and Local History financial statements for the fiscal year ending June 30, 2008. You'll see the actual audited figures published in dispatch, so look for those. The association's fiscal status is regularly reviewed by a number of those committees, the Finance Committee, which is uh, George Vogt, Eileen Kurahashi, and Bob Brown this year. The Investment Committee is chaired by Kevin Graffanino, and he is joined by Dwight Pitkathley, Dennis O'Toole, and George Vogt. And of course, your council keeps a very close eye on our uh, finances. So we all owe all of these people our thanks. This year, as I make the report, I note in particular our overall budget growth 
I see some impact of the general market conditions on our uh, financial assets. And I also can comment that our endowment is now old enough that we've moved to a rolling three-year average for our draw. I sort of think that's a huge deal. Okay, Risa. Here is the ASLH balance sheet as of June 30th, 2008. This pre-audit snapshot shows the association's assets at over $2 million. The income statement presents activity from July 1, 2007 to June 30th, 2008 with revenues and expenses over $2.8 million. Did we ever think we'd see that day? To see have a, have uh, those kinds of numbers on our screen. This chart shows the association's sources of revenue for 2008. I do note that federal grants, grants now exceed other sources of revenue. I also note that our second uh, source of revenue is uh, membership and contributions at 30%. Membership, um, ASLH's dependence on members as a source of revenue is illustrated in this slide, which of course is going the right direction up. Thanks to all the people who work on membership. Um, and as I turn over the role of treasurer to our new treasurer, Ann Toplovich, I know she's, there she is. I am, um, I particularly want to, I'm very delighted Ann's going to take over. She's going to do a terrific job. Um, and as I depart, I want to thank our CEO, Terry Davis, for the strength of our organization. And I particularly, however, want to thank the woman who prefers to work behind the scenes, Risa Woodward. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, as a membership organization, you as the members have a very important thing to do each year, which is to elect the leadership for this organization. And I'd like to call on Will Tickner uh, to give the 2008 election results. Thank you, Barbara, and good afternoon from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Thank you, Denny. We're few and far between, but we're strong. Uh, before I do read these names, I just would like to take a moment to express my own personal thanks to all of these folks who run for office and who have been occupying our offices for a while. I know that they invest a tremendous amount of their personal time and quite often personal expenses as well to do this work, and they are providing the leadership that we so need that keeps ASLH such a strong and vibrant organization continually. So thank you all. Our election committee uh, this year also consisted of Stephanie Long, who's a senior collections curator for me, and uh, is currently uh, in, in embarked in preparing for the seminar in historic administration. Very excited about that. And Rebecca Slaughter, who is the assistant director at our railroad museum. And with no further ado, uh, we received 767 ballots this year, which I think is a great turnout and shows that by far the majority of folks are interested in this and are voting. 
Our Leadership Development Committee will be Jeffrey Harris and Brenda Granger. For Council, Ann Woosley, Lawrence Yerden, Scott Carley, and Cynthia Robinson. And our officers will be for Treasurer, Ann Toplovich, as you just heard. Our Secretary, D. Stephen Elliott, and Vice President, Rick Beard. Thank you very much. I'd now like to ask uh, Don Zuris, the Leadership in History Awards Chair, uh, to make a special presentation of the Award of Distinction. The Award of Distinction is the highest award uh, that the American Association of St for State and Local History can bestow. Uh, this year, the recipient is E. Alvin Gerhardt, uh, who has given more than 30 years of service to the field of history museums. Uh, in particular, he championed the accomplishments, the professionalism, and the value of small museums. As the founding chairman of the Museum Assessment Policy Board, Alvin ensured that small museums run by all volunteers or only part-time paid staff would have access to this valuable program. He lobbied hard and won the argument that a museum with the equivalent of one full-time staff person, uh, paid or unpaid, should be allowed to, to take advantage of the museum assessment program, a tool that has helped bring, to bring professionalism to museums across the country. There are few people in the history museum field who have done so much to open the field to understanding the value of the small museum. It is my pleasure to present to Alvin Gerhardt the Association's Award of Distinction. did mention because there was a, uh, about 24 hours ago some uh, concern as to whether I'd be stayed, stayed here uh, and I wanted to send greetings uh, from the hurricane capital of the week, Corpus <laughs> Christi, Texas. <laughs> thank you, Al. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. It doesn't break. Thank you, thank you to everybody for the for receiving this award. I can't tell you how I would value anything any more than, than this particular one from AASLH, which I've always thought of as a very special organization. Some of you younger people here, and there are a few of you who are younger than I am here now, uh, quite a few, uh, may, may wonder what you have to do to get something like this. It may just be that you have to live longer than anybody else. Uh, I'm not sure about that. 
But I, in looking up a couple of the records, I did find that I, it was exactly 50 years ago that I joined ASLH in 1958. <laughs> and in those days, I was a volunteer at a little history museum in the basement of the courthouse in my hometown of Lynchburg, Virginia. It had closed during World War II, and being naive as I was, it never occurred to me that when I said, oh yes, I'll be glad to open it back up for you, what it was going to mean. It took some work, needless to say. But I was always lazy. And the, my wife will attest to that as well. Uh, but I decided what I'd do is ask people who I thought would be able to help me the most. In those days, it was AASLH in Madison, Wisconsin. And I got answers to many of my questions. Within a few years, of course, ASLH had moved down to Nashville. Bill Olson had become the director. And he always answered my questions and made me feel like my questions were just as important as anybody else's questions, but whether it was coming from the Smithsonian or the Minnesota Historical <laughs> or someplace else. Um, <coughs> that's what's so great about ASLH. It's, it's made up of many, many people from smaller organizations, all of whom are just as willing to help you as we hope you are to help them. And I think this is the important thing of this. It, 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 we all want to share our community's history, and we found the best way to do it is to talk about, about it with our peers and, frankly, pick their brains for a lot of new ideas that we can then take home and impress our boards with. But after, after 17 years, I found I'm a late bloomer. I found that you might make some money working in a history museum. Not a whole lot, you understand, <laughs> but at least enough to keep from starving to death. And so I went back to Cooperstown and got a degree in museum studies. That was so I could prove to somebody that I deserved to get a salary for what I was doing for the fun of it. But there were a couple of things ahead of that that I do want to mention. One was the fact that in the early days, as a volunteer, trying to run this little history museum in Lynchburg, I went down to talk to James Short. Now, James Short was vice president of Colonial Williamsburg in those days, uh, charge of all their research. And they didn't have 18 vice presidents like they do today. His office was about, about the size of that table, actually, on the second floor garret little garret room in, a, in one of the buildings. And I went down and asked him, you know, how could I get my museum to do a little bit better? And during the conversation, I said, what I couldn't do with my museum if I just had some of your budget? And he said, let me show you something. And he walked over to the corner, pulled, and it was a very corner, the ceiling came down like this, very short corner. He pulled out a bunch of files and he said, look at these postponed for one year, postponed for five years, lack of funds, canceled because of no lack of funds. He says, the only difference between you and Colonial Williamsburg is the number of zeros at the end of the budget figure. And he says, we, we all know exactly how much a zero is worth. I've always tried to remember that because it still holds true today. In 1973, when I was been able just to decide to get out of the textile business and get into the nonprofit field. Uh, Lou and Aggie Jones came down through Lynchburg. They were doing a folklore 
uh, tour, and Sally and I got a chance to go to dinner with him. And Aggie, of course, Lou wouldn't do anything like this because he, had, he was still on the sele selection committee for students for Cooperstown. But Aggie says, why don't you apply, 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 apply all night? Why don't you apply? And what happened was I did. And not only that, I got in. Not only that, I moved to Cooperstown with a wife and four children, which, of course, made me probably 20 years older than anybody else in the class. So, of course, they immediately elected me president of this, quote, student body. And I said, you, all you want is a father figure. And that, nobody denied that. It was just that, that was just, that's what they wanted. But anyhow, we had, at age 43, changed careers completely. Started back with ASLH as soon as I got out of Cooperstown. And I found I had a paying job in Tennessee. That's the reason I'm in Tennessee instead of Virginia. Uh, I started out as state membership chairman. And, then, and at that time, I was also president of the Virginia History Federation, which is now Virginia Association of Museums. And I continued to be involved with ASLH. To those of you who think incorrectly, I might add, uh, that you're low, too low on the totem pole for anybody to be interested in what you have to say or do, I just say, get involved. Get involved, it's the best group of people I know of. And if you get involved, the first thing you know, you won't have to worry about what you're gonna do on any spare time because you won't have any spare time. <laughs> I'm sure Terry will take care of that and Risa and some of the others. As chairman of the Small Museums Committee of AAM, I pushed to get that huge organization to pay to more attention to the smaller institutions. And I delighted in pointing out to the powers that be on the council there that 80% of the museums in the United States were small museums. And, and of course, in those days, we'd started out when I was a volunteer, we said 5,000 and under was a small museum. Time I got in, we started doing the map, it started, came out at 25,000, and then it was a, now, now it's gone to 100, 250,000. I don't know what the small definition of small museum is anymore. Uh, but anyhow, it kept growing up and up and up and up. But I thought, that we were a pretty important group because we were such a big portion of the entire museum field. We were fortunate to be able to work with the Institute of Museum Services, I could tell you a few dozen stories about that, uh, about, and get, get the funding set up for the MAP program, or even to get the name of it was the first thing to do, and then we had to get, had to get it set up. I am pleased with, with what it's achieved. I take that as one of my major accomplishments. Thanks to my, my family and to the many professionals who helped me along the way, and that is in Virginia and in Tennessee and in all these other states, and especially to Cindy Lucas, who happens to be here today, who helped me at Rocky Mount, became a student of Museum Studies program and when I started that at Tusculum College, and wrote a technical leaflet this last year for ASLH's History News, and now runs one of the museums at Tusculum College. Thank you, ASLH, for the award. Thank you for helping and encouraging all the little people to look after the history museums of the country, of the world for that matter. Thank you again.
Thank you, Alvin. You're part of the history of this organization, and uh, it is really a pleasure to be able to uh, present you with this honor today, and uh, thank you for those words. Um, I would now like to call on our, on our president, Terry Davis, uh, to give a report on ASLH and where we are. I brought the wrong glasses, but maybe somebody will ask me to run for office because these are so fancy. So just hope, <laughs> just hope that I can read what I brought. <laughs> Alvin, thank you so much for coming. Many of you know that um, Alvin can't make it to the uh, awards banquet because of a family uh, commitment wedding, I believe. So we asked him to come and do uh, receive his award here. and, and um, it's just always a pleasure to, to congratulate and celebrate somebody like Alvin. So thanks for adjusting your schedule and coming. <laughs> I want to um, thank Raleigh Adams and uh, the host committee here um, and people at the Strong uh, Museum. I have to say that Laura Sadowski served on this board of directors a few years ago. And Laura, I don't know if she's in the room or not. If, uh, and Laura, thank you so much. I know that you've coordinated your wonderful staff and the staff of the Strong, and it really shows. And thank you to the whole city of Rochester for really rolling out the red carpet, I'll tell you, between the food. I, I left, I, I, everybody left in a different state last night of tiredness and fullness. But I was like, oh my God, that food yesterday was just awesome. And it was almost as good as the House Museum and the, and the Science Museum. So thank you for that. And I also want to thank Kent. Where is Kent Wentworth, our program chair? Thank you, Kent. <laughs> Kent worked hand in glove with Bob Bedia of our staff, our director of programs, and I think that you can see um, all the hard work that they've done, and Kent mentioned some of the extra new things that have uh, happened, like the Daily Buzz blog that, that we started uh, this year, and I just want to thank you very much. You've done a spectacular job. Well, I hope that all of you uh, take the time to go to the exhibit hall and thank our sponsors and thank our exhibitors while you're wandering around seeing each other and hugging and kissing and seeing what's been going on for the past year. You probably noticed that the black bags that we have from Wegmans this year, uh, they don't have the SLH logo on them. They were a part of the sponsorship package that was solicited by the staff of the Strong Museum. They're green. They're all the things that, that we like about um, our sponsorships and, and about our meeting. And I want to thank Laura and the staff again for being able to come up the Strong for coming up with all of the sponsorships and, and those bags from Wegmans. I just learned about that grocery store a few weeks ago, but it's evidently quite a story, and we really appreciate what they've been um, giving us. One last thank you before I get started on just a couple comments. Is Catherine Gilbert in, in the room? Catherine is with the Upstate History Alliance, Historical Alliance, and um, in partnership with the New York Council for the Arts, the New York Humanities Council, and the Trail, Heritage Trails Program in New York, Catherine um, raised 51 scholarships for people in New York to come from small and medium-sized museums to come to this <laughs> annual meeting.
I, I, I've been around a long time, 15 years. I know I, I don't look like it sometimes, but I've been or sound like it. But I've been around a long time. I don't remember that ever happening. 50, 51 scholarships is a, is an awful lot. So I wanted to be sure and thank her for that. Well, it's been another amazing year. Your ASLH staff has been very hard at work. This past year has been the first year of a three-year operating plan that we're operating under. Um, where we're looking at our operations, how well we do them, what we do, why we do them, how we can do them better. You've probably received a survey or a phone call from a member of council or perhaps a phone call from one of our state uh, team captains asking what you think about the various products and, and services from ASLH. And we're going to spend uh, some time looking at what all of this means as far as how well we do what we do. And at the same time over the ne next year, the Council of ASLH is going to be looking at the vision for the future of ASLH. I said to uh, council members not so long ago, and particularly uh, Barbara and David, you know, there really isn't a crisis right now, and that scares me. <laughs> when, when you're meeting budget and your programs are going along fine and everybody's um, complimenting you because the program content seems to be getting a little better, you think to yourself, well, but to what end? What is it exactly that we're going to be working towards next? And so we've been talking a lot at the council about that, and what we're going to be doing for the next couple of years are having strategic discussions about marrying uh, what we do with the mission and a new vision for ASLH. We um, have been talking about high performance in associations and in your work too, but particularly in, in associations. And we're going to be trying to identify what a high performance association is, seeing how we can marry our operations and our goals and our strategies and our mission and come up with the highest uh, performing operation or association that we can have. So it's going to be a long and and um, we're not sure where the conversations are going to lead us, but that's the kind of, of conversation that we'll be having over the next year. But I'm going to cut my comments short today because we have so many important people to hear from, but I did want to tell you about just about a couple of the real success stories and things that we're very proud of that we've done in this past year. And I'll start off with the Conservation Bookshelf Project, and I think many, if not most of you, are familiar with this partnership that we have with the Institute of Museum and Library services. It's not a grant. We didn't um, apply for it through a grant. It's a, it's a true partnership contract. Um, the bookshelf it contains all sorts of resources, mostly in print, to help you do your work better uh, with respect to collections. And it is um, a competitive process. We have now provided with uh, with our partners IMLS, 1,835 sets of bookshelves around the country. And we're really, really proud of that program. We've heard some really neat stories about how people have been using it to improve their work. 87% um, of those that apply have gotten the bookshelf. Um, every time IMLS sees that there's a need to expand the bookshelf, they have done so. We're now, I think, on our third something like that contract amendment. So I really want to thank the Institute of Museum and Library Services for doing that with us. Another thing that we want to tell you a little bit more about, and I'm going to call on some help from this, is the ASLH Endowment Drive. And of course, we have Denny O'Toole as our chair for the Endowment Committee and the Endowment Drive. Denny has been a long, long time supporter of ASLH in many, many ways, and of course, your colleague. And so, Denny, if you would like to say just a word about that, that would be great. 
Thank you, Terry. Good afternoon, everyone. Just a word? Or two. Over a year ago in Atlanta, ASLH announced the kickoff of its leadership for the New Century Endowment Campaign. A campaign committee was formed. We coaxed Cokie Roberts into being our honorary chair. I've been the chair since that point, and we got a band of hardworking volunteers who were some of the best, bravest, and most generous people in our field to serve on the committee. Let me just briefly say their names. Charlie Bryan, Virginia Historical Society. Sandra Clark, Michigan History Center. Sal Salella, Atlanta History Center. Dennis Fiore, Massachusetts Historical Society. Bill Laidlaw, Ohio Historical Society. Kathleen Mullins, Eleanor and Edsel Ford House in Michigan. Ruby Rogers, Cincinnati Historical Society. Kent Whitworth, Kentucky Historical Society, and our own indispensable Terry Davis. Our goal is to add one million in new funds to ASLH's permanently restricted endowment. We've set out to reach this goal by raising $650,000 in current gifts, cash or convertible into cash gifts, and $350,000 in future gifts, planned gifts. I'm proud to announce that as of today, the end of year one of our three-year campaign, we've raised over $410,000 in gifts and pledges. Of this current total, nearly $300,000 is in current gifts and $113,000 is in future planned gifts. This is a good start, and we have two more years to get the job done. So far, 80 of us have pledged and given to the endowment campaign, and the committee is still diligently pursuing those other individuals, foundations, and organizations on our list of the association's strongest and most loyal supporters. But these efforts won't be enough unless we receive support from hundreds more of you who are members of ASLH, and there are more than, where do we stand? 6,500 members, 6,200, thank you, Gina. We won't reach our million dollar goal. So please, each of you, whether you are new to our field and to ASLH or a member in longstanding, begin thinking and talking and planning now about how you will make a sustaining gift to ASLH when you are called upon to contribute, as you will be over the next 12 months. To quote Cokie Roberts, by choosing to help build ASLH's endowment, you will help ASLH more effectively address the needs you identify and lend your and many other support in authenticating, preserving, and preserving America's past for all Americans. I look forward to reporting to you a year from now in Indianapolis on how very close we've come to our goal of raising fully $1 million for ASLH's endowment, and thereby assuring its ability to support you and provide leadership for the field of state and local history well into this new century. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. I just realized I have Alvin looking over my shoulder. I'm not. <laughs>
start talking about money. Got Alvin up there. <laughs> okay, something else that we're really excited about is just last month we uh, learned that we won a level one digital humanities startup grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. We haven't had a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities except for a challenge grant um, for, through our, for our endowment campaign in the 15 years that I've been here, so I'm pretty excited about that. And this grant will facilitate long-term planning among digital encyclopedias. <laughs> in the spring of 2009, we're going to hold a summit in Nashville on technology and content practice in geographically, you notice I'm having to read this, in geographically based digital encyclopedias, which will produce best practices and a roadmap for technological innovation. Ooh. We will apply for a level two digital humanities grant in October of 2009. This is a whole different kind of thing than ASLH has applied for in the past, and we have a wonderful committee. We've worked most closely with Ann Toplovich, who is at the Tennessee Historical Commission and our society in um, Tennessee, and of course is right there in Nashville. This is very heady stuff, but it's very important stuff that we're really excited to play an important role in since there are so many different kinds of digital encyclopedias forming all over the country and they involve the work that you do and we want to bring some type of a system to that. So we're excited about that. SLH's performance management projects uh, that you've heard something about for a while now has now served 133 organizations. The visitor survey program has surveyed more than 25,000 visitors to museums and the education program has received responses from over 2,100 teachers. We're working in both managed groups and with individual institutions, and by managed groups, we mean we find clusters of museums that have something in common. Uh, we have 12 museums in Alaska that are operating as a managed group, 17 in Texas, and right now are forming um, a managed group around Civil War museums in Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina, and North Carolina. Um, our project director, Sherry Cook, who is here somewhere, uh, that most of you know has been really working hard with our partner, the Center for Nonprofit Management in uh, Nashville. We're very proud of that program and it's coming along quite well. Sherry runs another program for ASLH, of course, our History Standards Project. It's been going on for three years now and I think you may have heard a little bit about it at sessions here and read in History News a little bit about it. Um, 130 volunteers she's coordinating to put together and test standards for small and medium-sized history organizations. That's a herd and cats kind of job, and she has done a terrific job at it. We will introduce the whole package to you next June after field trials are over. Um, I don't want to forget also our work at the federal, for the Federal Formula Grant Initiative. You know that ASLH has provided national leadership for a coalition of 60 uh, museum service organizations, and our goal is to try to bring to IMLS a mechanism which they use on the library side but not on the museum side whereby federal funds are distributed at the state so that they are given out at the state level with state control based on needs assessments that are um, performed within each of those states. And we're in negotiations with AAM and other associations about what kind of a legislative agenda we might move forward with. Uh, for Congress when um, IMLS is reauthorized in 2009, but many of you read about the Federal Formula Grant Coalition and the work that we do in dispatch and online, so I encourage you to keep doing that 
And um, later this fall, oh, no, I'm sorry, not later this winter or probably early spring, we will be calling on you to take some action with your members of Congress. So I hope that you answer that call. I heard last night, the board doesn't even know this, so it's a big surprise, I guess. I heard last night from Bob Beatty that we won an IMLS grant, uh, 21st Century Museum Professional Grant, um, just posted on the web last night, so I guess I'm free to announce it, uh, $494,000 grant to teach project management to history uh, museum professionals. We're pretty excited about that. Um, haven't talked about it internally, but you know what? Uh, we're all going to take it. <laughs> and we're, we're pretty excited. I've heard anecdotally and we've heard through research that uh, there are lots of challenges that you have and, and needs for growth within your staff, but project management in a comprehensive way is something that's really needed out there. So we're partnering with um, a for-profit company that teaches and does project management uh, training for the corporate world and see what we can learn from them. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, David Crossan, I'd like to ask David to come up. David wanted to talk to you for just a second before I introduce you to the SLH staff and talk to you about the auction that we're going to have uh, going on shortly. And Alvin's watching, so don't do anything he'd be ashamed of. Too late. <laughs> this is Wayne. Say hi, Wayne. Hi, hi Wayne. Wayne. Wayne is a tradition here, not one of the more noble ones, but a tradition none the same. Wayne uh, was purchased at the Pike Street Market in Seattle, am I correct on that? And um, uh, has a tradition of being sold <clears throat> every year. Uh, Wayne is one of the more exciting things you'll want to purchase. Uh, there are also uh, hot vacation spots that you will want to, uh, to attend. There are, is original New Deal art on sale. There are, but nothing really quite special as Wayne. So we want to make sure you're there. It's upstairs in the exhibit hall at that back left corner. And we have a goal of $6,000 to go into ASLH programs. And if we don't reach that goal, Wayne dies. <laughs> so I will, between now and then, be practicing my best Andy Masick voice <laughs> with little hope of duplicating it. And Wayne and I will see you all at the auction. Please come. <laughs> Does Wayne come with a plane ticket, or well, how does that work? <laughs> well, it's been a great year at ASLH, and we're really um, excited to be back with you. You know, this is the one time when we can set. I, I go to sessions. Bob goes to sessions. We all listen to you. It's a, it's a great opportunity for us to hear what you're doing. Um, we're glad that you're supporting ASLH programs. We have 894 of you here in Rochester this week. That's, we're very happy about that number. We heard from a lot of uh, state agencies and some others that out-of-state travel was, you know, at the last minute. And so yeah, between that and the gas prices, we got a little bit nervous. But we're, we're pretty excited about that number. So thank you all very, very much for, for coming. 
Well, according to the evidence, we're guilty of another year of really hard work, hard work and productive programming. One of the things while we've been uh, doing our evaluations and surveys, I keep saying to Bob all the time, let's come up with evidence. Show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. And I think that as we looked um, over the past few weeks at what all we've accomplished, we do have a lot of evidence that we've had a really terrific, terrific year at ASLH. But, you know, we never make any mistake about it. We know why we do the work. We know who we do the work with. Um, there's absolutely no way that the work would be worthwhile if it weren't for you working hand in glove with you. Um, you know, this is a, a, a terrific job that we all have, and we know it, that we serve uh, a high purpose. We know your purpose, and we're absolutely de delighted to always help you with that. But we don't do it alone. We have lots of volunteers all over the country, and we have a terrific board of directors. And um, we're going to congratulate the outgoing board in just a minute, but I want to pay just a special tribute to the officers. Every two years, we have a changeover of officers. And we're very lucky that Barbara Franco is going to be staying around for another couple years as an outgoing officer, so we have her. Catherine Kane, oh gosh, we are going to be losing Catherine, but I think that she'll be around forever and ever. She's a lifer, and we're never going to let her go. Uh, we'll find lots of volunteer opportunities for Catherine, there's no doubt. And then, oh my God, David Crossan. I cannot imagine. You know, David was treasurer of ASLH from, I believe it was 92 to 96, when he's over there going, shut up, when I was hired. So you can imagine that we had some long and curvy roads we had traveled together in those early years. And then after he went off as treasurer, he was off for a few years, then came back and did his six-year sentence, two years as incoming chair, two years as chair, and two years as outgoing chair. And um, I, I simply can't imagine sitting around a board meeting without David. So I miss you already, David. <laughs> he had a tooth like that once, he said. <laughs> But these guys really do have your best interest in mind, and um, I hope you'll join me with thanking them and knowing that we have more of you ahead. We have a great crop coming in, too. Well, before I finish, I want to introduce you to your AASLH staff members. Um, they're always here with a smile on. I've got to tell you, I talk a lot about, you know, Bob and I working on content or whatever, but this is a village kind of project, as I know you understand, and many of you have a chance to get emails or talk to on the phone ASLH staff, so I'm very proud to bring them up. These are the people I spend most of my time with. I got no husband. I got no kids. I got these guys. Now, some, they may wish I didn't spend so much time with them, frankly, but these people are very important to me in all sorts of different ways, and whether you know it or not, they're important to you, too. So I want to introduce you to your ASLH staff and, of course, start with Bob Beatty, our director of programs. Is Sherry in the room? I, I Sherry Cook? I don't know. I, she must be... She had to go do something. Okay, Sherry Cook, who uh, telecommutes, and uh, but she does our standards and performance management program, so thank you. Kim Fahey, our Director of Marketing and Design. Kim is responsible for all the printed material and for the exhibit hall, so that's a pretty big deal. Bethany Hawkins, Program Associate. Bethany does lots of different things, including dispatch and working with lots of different committees. Terry Jackson, 
Terry is Program Associate uh, for the Connecting to Collections Bookshelf Project. Maddie Rose, everybody talks to Maddie. Maddie's our receptionist and data entry person. Gina Sawyer, membership manager. Risa Woodward, who's finance and also manages a lot of the office. And I'll tell you, who doesn't know Natalie Norris? Natalie, thank you so much. You know, we, we forget that Natalie's not a staff member because <laughs> she was at one point, and then when she decided to go out and start her own company, the first thing we said was, well, can we be your first clients? And she let us be your clients, and we've done that ever since, and we're, we're just delighted to be able to keep her in the family. So anyway, we've had another great year. We look forward to serving you in the year ahead. Let us know what you think when we call upon you. I know you have no shortage of opinions, but direct them this way so we know what you're thinking. Thank you very much. Thank you, Terry. And I think that you all get a sense of the fact that your organization is a well-tooled machine with a wonderful staff, uh, a dedicated uh, president, and uh, we also have a very, very strong uh, leadership team in the council. And it is my pleasure to um, recognize our outgoing uh, council members. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, to understand what a really functional, terrific group that is, and that they are really looking at uh, the interests of this field and of this organization in very special ways. Um, so we have something for each of them. Uh, so I would like to uh, call up David Crossan uh, to um, have his uh, plaque. It is a two. And I want to join Terry in saying that David uh, has been an incredible asset and an incredible part of ASLH's success. Uh, and really, we owe him a tremendous uh, thanks. And this is only a token. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, next, Catherine Kane. Uh, who I, has served so well as a treasurer and really has brought such clarity. I know many of you have your own organizations and have to present uh, budgets to um, your boards and they ask questions. And I have to say that Catherine has done an incredible job of keeping this council informed, up to date, and really uh, has, has served us very, very well. So Catherine, thank you. Um, Nina Zaneri, is Nina here? Yes, there she is. It has been a great pleasure to work with Nina. Nina, as many of you who know her, is not someone who minces words and <laughs> has always been right there to keep us on an even keel and uh, to, make, to make sure that we were taking the right path. So thank you, Nina, for that leadership. Roger Stroop. 
Roger is another one of the council members who is so active all the time that whether or not he's on council, it really doesn't matter <laughs> because we still find so many things for him to do and he is so willing to do them. Uh, and I know he's another who will continue to uh, be a major part of ASLH, uh, but he has been a, served a wonderful term on this council and been incredibly helpful in all of our decision making. Mindy Love. It has been really terrific to work with Mindy and to get her ideas, uh, to have her uh, as being a, a member of this council, uh, to represent some of the younger members on <laughs> in this organization. Um, and, uh, and I know that you know, juggling all the things she does, but she's always made a huge commitment uh, to be on the council and has served very well. And I want to thank her for her work as well. Not with us today are Dennis Fiore and Barry Dressel, but I also want to acknowledge their service and to thank them. And as I tell each of the outgoing members, and we all know, um, there may be term limits for council members, but there's no limit to being able to continue to be active, and it is a life sentence in many ways. <laughs> so thank you all. As outgoing chair, I get a chance to address you all once again. And um, I know there's been uh, some uh, recognition of the fact that we are back in Rochester after a 20-year hiatus. So it's wonderful for me to be back uh, because I spent some time in upstate New York, and so it's a little bit coming back home for me. But I also wanted to mention that 20 years ago, I attended the ASLH meeting here in Rochester. Um, and I had with me my not yet one-year-old daughter in a stroller. Well, uh, today, uh, she's taller than I am. Uh, she's probably smarter than I am. And she is in Mexico uh, studying Spanish language, the solidarity movement, and community activism. And I try very hard today to see her not as the toddler she was then, but as the grown woman she is now, ready to face the world. And she is one of those 18 to 29-year-olds who uh, John Zogby has pointed out in his new book is part of what he calls the global generation uh, and has identified them as such. And we are obviously waiting for them to transform our world. So here in Rochester again, 20 years later, I have to say that the conference theme of transformation strikes a particularly strong chord for me at almost every level, personal transformations, professional transformations, and inter institutional transformations. The past two years as chair of ASLH have been a wonderful opportunity for me to see my own career and the work of my institution in a larger context. It has been a personal and professional pleasure to work with a talented staff and dedicated president and CEO, Terry Davis, 
The work that is accomplished by them on your behalf is truly amazing. It has also been an honor to work with a wise and committed group of peers on the council who provide a wealth of leadership and expertise for this organization. And I also want to thank the countless volunteers, committee chairs, task forces, and committee members who further the work of ASLH by generously sharing their time and talents to improve our field. I've particularly appreciated seeing the work of the field from a slightly different vantage point and being able to track the larger trends that face ASLH and its membership. I want to share that perspective with you today. Change seems to be a watchword of this season's political rhetoric. And while change advocates too often focus only on the future, I'm also reminded that we learn about change by looking at the past. History is the tool that helps us understand how things change over time and to make in informed decisions about the future. It gives us the faith and strength, as Bernice Reagan, Reagan uh, reminded us, to go forward. Looking back, I'm sometimes surprised at my own professional transformation. When I started working at my first museum job as a newly minted curator, fresh from the Cooperstown graduate program, I saw my work as research and collections, organizing exhibitions, and writing labels. I imagined that this would be my career in museums forever. But this is not the same field that I entered, and I'm not the same person. I learned a lot at Cooperstown, but I've learned even more along the way, often out of necessity, often by mistakes. I've learned lessons in politics, fundraising, PR and HR, marketing, community development, tourism, intellectual property, all essential to running a museum or historical organization in the 21st century. Mostly, I learned that I could do things I never expected to do, and I learned to appreciate that leadership was a way to make a difference, and yes, even to be creative. Today, there is a new generation of newly minted museum professionals graduating from many more museum studies programs. And it's important for them to see themselves as the leaders who will take our field to its next stages. I recently read a national survey on next generation leadership roles in a changing environment called Ready to Lead, produced this year in partnership with Compass Point, uh, nonprofit services, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Meyer Foundation, and idealist.org. The survey indicates that there's a substantial talent pool in the nonprofit field and that about a third of those interviewed were interested in executive leadership positions. But many were hesitant because of time constraints or not feeling ready. Almost half felt the need to develop external connections and networks and needed more management skills. They report a lack of mentorship and support, and only 4% are explicitly being developed to, be, to become their organization's executive director. And, and many thought it unlikely that they would assume a leadership position in the organization of their, where they currently work and would have to leave to advance their careers. We as a profession need to make sure that we are giving the next generation of leaders the support they need to learn those lessons and to encourage them 
so that they are willing and ready to take on leadership roles. And it's one of the things that I think that ASLH is so committed to and uh, is an important part of our work as an organization. The field they will take over will be different from the field I entered, more mature, more challenging, more exciting. The role of expertise has shifted and now requires us to find new ways to provide the information resources that we hold in trust for the public. When I was a young curator, people would often remark that I seemed too young to know about things in, from the past, as though the only way to know about the past was to have experienced it personally. At the time, I was incensed that my academic credentials were being questioned. How ridiculous that being in my 20s would make it impossible for me to understand and have knowledge about long past centuries. Well, the older I've gotten, the less I know. But I have learned that the public understands and trusts information based on different criteria than I did. That while, memory la that while memory may play tricks with us, it's also the foundation of deeper meanings and lasting understandings. That learning and teaching are two different things, and that engaging the public in the learning process is always better than telling them everything we know. The word docent, used extensively in museum parlance, literally means to lead, and perhaps that somewhat antiquity antiquated term needs to be dusted off and rethought. Perhaps after all, our role is to lead people to learn for themselves. I'm particularly struck with the concept of Web 2.0 as it applies to history museums and organizations. The idea of the internet as a marketplace of ideas with many contributors that include experts, the public, and consumers in new relationships and a new environment. Historians still have a responsibility to pursue accuracy and truth, but we cannot ignore the fact that there are many more avenues to share information and we must learn to interact with them and to join the conversation. The concept of Museum 2.0 is healthy and challenging, and it's challenging, the, uh, and it's challenging conversations that suggest that museums must substantially change their relationship with the public and information in order to succeed. There is little doubt that the internet has become a favored source of information for growing numbers of people who choose access to information online. And a recent IMLS survey on the use of libraries and museums and the internet showed that 83% of adults use the internet to get information and 70% use museums and public libraries as a source. And what's really wonderful to see is that, once again, the websites of museums and libraries are highly valued and are seen as uh, more trusted sources than almost any other internet uh, sources of information. The internet has also leveled the playing field, especially for smaller institutions. We heard from Alvin about the, the, the struggles for small museums to, to really compete in, in larger, with larger museums and for public attention. But the quality of your website today and the usefulness of your information is no longer limited by geographic accessibility or square footage of your building. But unlike the permanent history exhibitions that have become the hallmark of many institutions, websites demand constant updating, interaction, and visitor input to be successful. 
Everywhere we hear concerns about funding for nonprofits, and I think that has always been in our field, but it seems particularly uh, difficult now. Government agencies and cultural organizations of all kinds and nonprofits seem to struggle with finding the resources to do the work that has become more and more complicated for us. Everyone seems to be facing challenges. Government agencies like my own are looking at a future of declining public support and wondering how to balance shrinking budgets with increasing costs by looking for private philanthropy and earned income. Private nonprofits who have depended on earned income and fundraising efforts are now looking for support from local, state, and federal governments. And even the institutions fortunate to have generous endowments that once were sufficient to support their operations are now looking at renewed fundraising efforts to maintain their programs. The federal formula grant program that ASLH has become so, um, has been, become so involved with and has really provided some leadership in is something that museums have not pursued in the past but, we are ne but now can be seen as one of the many ways that we are seeking new and different ways to sustain and support our organizations. Making the case for funding and the value of what we do has never been more important. In the past, we took it for granted that history, our collections, and our museums and historical organizations were valuable and important to society. We believed that what we did was valuable and others did too. Now we're looking to find out how others value us and finding it harder to simply assume that there will always be support for what we do without making the case for history. ASLH is grappling with how to help history organizations find new ways to make the case for the value of history and the work we do. Increasingly, that leads us to look at not only what we are doing, but how, we, how what we do helps solve community problems. Education is a prime concern of many communities struggling to prepare the next generation for the world they will live in. Building stronger communities and especially supporting older communities and cities that incorporate historic preservation may be essential to solving 21st century problems. Helping people to know and understand who they are and where they live is essential to identity, to culture, and sense of self. A major challenge for history organizations has been a shift in understanding who we do this work for. We have become much more savvy about who our audiences are and what they expect from us. Not so long ago, there was no question that historical societies and museums were serving a relatively small group of history enthusiasts, both amateur and professional, who did research, who read and wrote books, donated artifacts, and volunteered. They were a small but loyal following, often with deep family roots in the community and similar backgrounds and interests. The one outside audience we could always depend on was school children who studied local or state history in the mandated curriculum in a particular elementary grade and then again in high school, with any luck at all. Occasionally, the intrepid traveler would find us in guidebooks and visit on a day that we happened to be open. Increasingly, our audiences, we learned, requires, increasing our audiences requires more than putting an ad in the paper and a bigger sign out front. It means learning who the potential visitor is, what they would be interested in. 
Audience research has moved from being a rarity to an integral part of most major exhibition projects, and there is still more that needs to be done. ASLH has developed an important tool for the field. Performance management offers an affordable survey tool to museums to access how well they are reaching and serving their audience and benchmarks their information against others in the field. The changing demographics will continue to have an impact on our audiences in the future. Growing diversity and multi-ethnic populations are affecting history organizations across the country. I don't believe that changing audiences will mean that history organizations have to clear out their storage areas and replace their existing collections, but it will mean that we have to pose different questions and look for different answers from those collections. As long as we think about African American history or women's history or ethnic history as other, it continues to be marginalized. And we can excuse that marginalization by saying that we don't have the collections to tell those stories. And I, I am very cheered by the fact that as we approach the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, what I hear from the states, both North and South, is a real willingness to ask some different questions and hopefully to find some different answers. And I know that um, ASLH has really stepped up to help convene those conversations, both at these meetings and throughout the year as states are developing their programs. Uh, and I think that that's an extremely um, positive sign in, 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 our, in our field. But history in our field is not just about transformation and change. History also teaches us that along with change, there's also continuity. I also see the enduring values of our mission and our work. History, when we do it right, is about real people doing real things. Over and over again, audience research and public surveys reveal the power of stories to engage real people today with the real people of the past. Rather than suggesting that we're all alike, the past provides important opportunities to understand differences, something that prepares us to deal with and tolerate differences among our contemporaries. Empathy, something that we are all hardwired to experience, is enhanced by practice. And history makes us feel human when we can find empathy for individuals who we may only meet through their artifacts, their stories, and their words. History has the power to change us, to transport us beyond ourselves, to explore times and places where we cannot go in person, but can experience nonetheless. The magic of walking through an outdoor museum or standing in a historic house can evoke an understanding of past times in ways that a traditional narrative cannot. Collections remain at the heart of what we do and what we bring to the public. No matter how many websites or public programs we develop, it is the collections and the places we preserve that are key to everything we do. Finally, despite all our transformations and the enormous changes in our field, I see one constant that is the community of history colleagues. The many people who feel strongly about the value of the past and have made a commitment to share their passion and their knowledge with others. AASLH has been the place that I come to to reconnect to that community. I appreciate the opportunity to play a leadership role for the past two years. It has been a learning experience for me 
and one that I will always value. But most of all, I appreciate the friendship of colleagues and the forum that ASLH provides for discussion and support as we grapple with how to make sure there is a future for the past. Thank you. Barbara, before you leave the podium, um, you have been a shining light oh. for us all for, in so many ways over the past couple of years. And uh, so we want to give you this oh, little piece wonderful. of craft from Vermont, uh, which we find particularly useful in power outages, actually. Excellent. But, uh, <laughs> but with all our best wishes, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure to pass um, the uh, responsibility of uh, the chairmanship uh, to our incoming chair, and um, he is the future of ASLH. So here, here we, here we are. But it is in very good hands. And I have to say that of all the responsibilities I've had this year, the most difficult, and the one that has probably occupied me at my mind most, has been the caretaker of a very important artifact, and that is passing the crown oh. of power. When David, when David Cross had handed this to me and I put it in my suitcase and took it home, I thought, okay, where am I going to put this where it's safe? But in two years, I will still remember where I put it. <laughs> so this has preyed on my mind. So the, 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 the biggest responsibility that I now pass on <laughs> to David Donath is the care of the crown of ASLH. The care of oh <laughs> well, I, I joked about this for the last several weeks. I told my board chair, you know, well, I'm going off to my coronation, and, and I'd forgotten. Oh, well. Oh. Thank you. Barbara, you have been such an inspiring leader to me and I know to the rest of the council, to Terry, to the association, thank you so much for all that you've done. You are quite a tough act to follow, I must say. But I want to also say just how happy I am to be here today. Um, I, I, I did some math, Alvin, like you did, and uh, for 30 years, 30 years, 30 years ago I joined. I, I know, Alvin's always thought of me as the kid, you know, but but ASLH has really been my home for history as well. It has really been the mentor to my career, source of inspiration, information, and most of all, many, many professional friendships all around this room, all around this, this organization. Um, I, can't, I can't say enough about how important that is to me personally. This happens to be the 25th annual meeting I've attended as well. And I think I missed one or two in between changing jobs and whatnot. But at any rate, I was also here at that Rochester meeting, one of the kids running around this place. Uh, and that was quite a, I think that was quite a, um, 
monumental meeting in my career. Uh, it also, my wife and I happened to be expecting our second child at that time. He's now about, I don't know, 45, 50 miles across the lake, University of Toronto studying history and architecture. You know, so time marches. We all are growing old in this organization uh, all together, and that's kind of a wonderful thing. ASLH, ASLH, A-A-S-L-H. Kind of a mouthful when I talk to my board, people who, who don't know what ASLH is, um, I have to say it out, American Association for State and Local History. It rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? American State and Local History. It's about something I think I believe in, personally passionate. I think I was born believing in this, and that is the power of place-based history. That sounds like a kind of a term of art, so let me try to explain what it means to me. This is history about and for who I am, who you are, who all of our friends and neighbors and communities are. It's personal. It's about community. It's about our society. And it's the, and it's, it's the glue that gives us, I think, perspective and grounding in our lives. In Vermont, we claim Wallace Stegner is one of our great authors. Now, I know Wallace Stegner's claimed in Canada, all over the West. Connecticut, too? Yeah. He, but he did, he, he spent a number of years or seasons on a farm in Vermont, not far from where I live, actually. Anyway, Wallace Stegner quoted or attributed to Wendell Berry the following quotations. He said that Wendell believed that if you don't know where you are, you don't know who you are. Wallace Stegner, of course, great environmental writer talking about really understanding your place in the world. Uh, I like to paraphrase it and say that knowing where you are is something important both in place and also in time. And, and state and local history is the intersection of place and time. And understanding where you are at that intersection and understanding the process of how that intersection of time and place works, I think is where we ground ourselves. It's what gives us our a kind of feeling of being centered, and I think it's, it's essential to our sense of personal identity, and I would extrapolate that to our identity as communities and our identity as a society. State and local history, perspective, grounding, identity. Essential, I think, to well-being, a feeling of well-being. Essential, I believe, to a healthy human spirit. Now, even though these are challenging times for our field, I think these values are quite fundamental, and they're what keep me going and what make me happy to come to work every morning and happy to do the work and the things that I do and happy to, to be a part of ASLH and all the work that you all do. I want to join with Barbara and with Carrie in greeting all of our friends and colleagues from our partner associations, um, especially point out Carl Nold, who is, I guess, now my counterpart, or I'm his counterpart, uh, over at AAM. Welcome, Carl. We're delighted that you've been here and part of this meeting throughout um, 
AAM, and so many others. You've heard about the coalition and so forth. These are our partners in raising recognition and support for the needs of all museums and all historical associations across the, across the country. These are challenging times for us all. These are also very rewarding times for us all. And I'm just delighted to be here with you and you with me taking this forward. Thank you very much. As we wind up this meeting here in Rochester, we also are looking forward to our next meeting next year in Indianapolis. And I'd like to call on Trina Nelson Thomas to give us a little uh, preview of next year's meeting. Hello, I was a little worried about this presentation and then David tried to raffle off a blow-up doll with, and threatened to stab it, and I'm not so worried anymore. Uh, my name's Trina Nelson-Thomas. I'm Senior Director of Public Programs at the Indiana Historical Society, and today I'm filling in for our CEO, John Herbst, who could not be here. He is also Chair of the 2009 Host Committee, and he sends his greetings and looks forward to seeing you in Indianapolis next summer. So, in honor of one of Indiana's favorite sons, David Letterman, the 2009 AASLH Annual Meeting Host Committee proudly presents a top 10 list for your viewing pleasure. The category from the Home Office is Things to Do During the AASLH Meeting in Indianapolis. Number 10, Tours. Pretend you are an Indy 500 driver by racing a Segway around the Circle Center Mall or the Central Canal and White River State Park, because we know you'll look good with that helmet on. Number nine, Indiana cuisine. Enjoy an abundance of world-class restaurants, but for a true slice of Indiana culinary heaven, order up pork tenderloins and a deep-fried food of your choice. It would be smothered in ketchup, of course, because Indiana leads the United States in ketchup consumption. <laughs> Number eight, Indy Fringe. While you're in Indianapolis, take a walk on the weirdly wild side at the 2009 Indy Fringe Festival. Showcased are both traditional and non-traditional theater, dance, music, improv, and visual arts. And you thought we were so mellow and conservative. This is my personal favorite, kings of all kinds. Visit with the kings, put on your blue suede shoes, and pay homage to the site where the king gave his last performance. Seek an audience with King Tut and his entourage at the Children's Museum, or for a sighting of our own AASLH reigning monarchs, depicted in this photo, sneak a peek into the CEO breakfast. <laughs> Number six, corn. Become children of the corn. That's Indiana sweet corn, and it's spelled Y-U-M-M-Y. <laughs> Number five, daily day spa. Treat yourself with a daily spa outing. With 90 degree weather, plus a, good, a titch of good old Midwestern humidity, every day feels like a sauna, 
and your skin will look fabulous. Number four, sports heritage. Celebrate Indy's rich sports heritage by attending an evening mini marathon. In just three hours, you'll visit 15 cultural institutions, including the Indiana State Museum, the Benjamin Harrison Home, the Idle George Museum, and Connor Prairie. Sports drinks, energy bars, and CPR will be available at each venue. Number three, Hoosier. Thank you, my people, thank you. Interact with the locals and find out where the term Hoosier comes from, as in who's ear, or who's your, or the ever popular who's your daddy. <laughs> All right. Number two, awards banquet aquatics. <laughs> Wind down at the Leadership in History Awards banquet with midnight paddle boat races on the historic downtown canal. I must warn you, clothing is required, but scuba gear is optional. And the number one thing to do at the ASLH annual meeting in Indianapolis falls under the category of calming yet entrepreneurial spirit. To pave the way for 21st century entrepreneurial thinking, we'll salute one of Indiana's outstanding entrepreneurial companies and a friend to public historians and museum professionals everywhere, Lilly Pharmaceutical, the manufacturer of Prozac. <laughs> For 2009, we are encouraging them to develop a chewable version, one that will brighten your teeth and your outlook at the same time. And with that, we look forward to seeing you in Indianapolis in 2009. I don't know about you, but I'm going to make my reservations tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds too good. Um, this uh, comes to a a brings to a close our um, membership meeting. Uh, I want to remind you that immediately after this, uh, in the um, exhibit hall, is our auction, led by our auctioneer, David Crossan. Uh, and uh, we'll see you all there. And without any further ado, uh, I would like to adjourn the meeting. Thank you. See you next year.